You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. This morning, we will be in Philippians, continuing our series through this great book of Philippians, written to the church of Philippi there in Greece, 11 years after Paul planted this church, which you can read about in Acts chapter 16, Paul now writes a letter to them, encouraging them, thanking them for the gift. And the theme of this book is all about joy. Last week we talked about joy despite our suffering. This week we're going to talk about joy in spite of death. And death is a subject that we don't often like to talk about. Uh, It's something that maybe we don't often like to think about, especially young people. We don't like to think about death. We, we think that somehow we're just going to keep living and living. And even though we see people dying all around us, it, it doesn't seem to affect us or make us think about the fragileness of our own lives and our own existence. And Paul is not speaking uh, flippantly here. He's not talking uh, out of his inexperience at all. In fact, Paul is facing death as he writes this letter, you remember Paul is in prison right now. And so as Paul writes about joy and suffering and, and having joy in the midst of suffering and in the midst of imminent death, he doesn't write that as pie in the sky. He doesn't write that from someone who doesn't experience it. He writes it with credibility because he is experiencing this as he writes it as he is under house arrest constantly being supervised and guarded by the praetorian guard, the best of the best, who last week we looked at, Paul was making an impact on their lives. But Paul was suffering, and Paul had suffered greatly. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read about all of the sufferings that Jesus, well, that Paul went through because he was taking up the message of Jesus. He was taking what Jesus said would happen to us, that a servant is not greater than his master, and that if I suffered, you will suffer. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will suffer, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will suffer. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, along with death. But death is one of those few things that every human being has in common. There's not a lot that we all have in common, but death is one of those things. Death will reach all of us at some point and some time. In fact, 6,000 people die every hour. In the the time that I spend with you this morning, 6,000 people will die. And some of us have have been touched with death in in greater ways than others. Some of us have experienced uh, death in, in, in ways that others of us have not. And the first taste of death that I had was when I was nine years old when, when my aunt, who's just a little bit older than my mom, uh, passed away, died of cancer. She was only 40 years old. At nine years old, it really didn't affect me that much, but you know, I knew that she left her family behind. I knew that she left children behind. Um, and then my grandpa died, and, and I've known people that have died, but I've never had anyone really, really close to me die. Andrea's grandmother passed away a, f- a few weeks ago. and But, you know, she wasn't my grandma. And, and so I haven't tasted someone that I'm very close to die. But I will. It's just a matter of time. 
It's just a matter of time when my mom and my dad will pass away, when my siblings will pass away, when possibly as we grow old, I I pray that I outlive my wife, but who knows who's going to go first? We don't know the answer to these things. And so we have to think about death. We, we have to, to be aware of the fact that it will touch us, that it will happen. And we don't want to think about those things, but how will we handle those things? And all of us want to outlive our children, but you know what? My grandma's buried too. We just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And so as we think about death, what is our perspective? What, what, is, what is our vision in light of it? And Paul gives us some very good things to think about in our text this morning. He says in verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you remember, Paul is talking about suffering. He's talking about all the things that he experienced at the hands of the Romans and also at the hands of his friends who were stabbing him in the back repeatedly who were using his imprisonment as an opportunity to make a name for themselves. And Paul says, look, I know that all of these things will turn out for my deliverance. I know, he says, I'm confident. And this confident spirit that Paul has is something that's born out of experience. It's something that's born out of wrestling with God, with walking with God, with experiencing these things and having the right perspective and not giving up and not quitting and throwing in the towel. He says, I know that this will turn out. I know it will. I've seen God do it in the past. I know he'll do it in the future. I know I'm struggling right now, but God is going to use it for my deliverance. Now, he doesn't just say that with empty optimism. He says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. And so that's important. The prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that. We need their support. We need their encouragement. We need to take advantage of those opportunities to lay our requests before God with other people. And we have that available for you each week. We're going to have that available for you today. You have home groups where they have prayer. They pray for one another. There's the prayer chain, both email and phone. There's opportunities for you to pray with one another and to pray for other people. And we need that. And we need the supply of the Holy Spirit. Desperately, we need the supply, the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live this life. We cannot walk through our sufferings knowing, being confident that he'll deliver us in our own strength. And if you're going through suffering right now, if you're going through difficulty, if you're tasting death, whether it be from a loved one or maybe in your own life as you grow old, if you're tasting death, tasting suffering, know that the only way you're going to have the right perspective is through the encouragement and prayer of others and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we just give up, we quit, we lose hope. According to my earnest expectation, that phrase, earnest expectation, it means to have your hands outstretched to expect something big, to expect God to bless and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed But with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul wanted nothing in his life to bring shame to the name of Jesus. 
Nothing in his public life, nothing in his private life, nothing in his ministry, nothing in his family, nothing in the way that he treated people, nothing in the way that he carried about his business. He wanted it all to be for the glory of God, to bring him honor and adoration and not humiliation and dishonor. He says, I want nothing in my life to cause shame to the Lord. Are there things in our life, the things in your life right now that would bring shame to the name of God, that would disappoint him, that's hurting his heart? And I think as a, as a child, one of the hardest things to hear from your parents is that you've disappointed them. If you have a good relationship with your parents, your parents can be mad at you, they can be angry with you, they can yell and scream at you, but when you hear your parents say to you, I'm disappointed, there's, there's something about that that motivates you to do right. And you guys, I, I don't think that any of us want to disappoint God, but are there things in our life that are bringing him shame? But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And so whatever happens to me, Christ will be magnified. Paul was confident of that. To be magnified is basically to make Jesus everything, to make him your focus and your vision. You know that hymn, Be Thou My Vision. That's what Jesus wants. He wants for you to be so focused upon him, to be so absolutely consumed with him that nothing else will throw you off. No suffering, no death, no hardship, no pain, no sin, no difficulty will throw you off. Because whether by life or by death, whatever happens to me, it's Jesus, that Jesus would be magnified, that he would be like that telescope that takes what you could never see otherwise out in the universe, things that are light years away, and bring them right into your living room for you to partake of. And there's so much about God that is so distant and so far removed from us, so far beyond our understanding, so completely impossible for us to fathom or to understand. And yet, he says, through Jesus, I bring it right into your life and make it clear to you so that you can partake of it. He wants to be like that microscope, which takes things that are so small, so minute, microscopic, things that we would never see. And all of a sudden, they come alive. All of a sudden, we can see bacteria and illness and disease. And we can see all of these things that are going on in the, the world that we're not aware of. And they come alive. And Jesus wants to take the things of his word, the things that are mysterious to us, and he wants to make them come alive. He wants to, to make them your vision, your focus. He wants to be magnified in your life. What is your vision right now? What's consuming you? What is it that is at the forefront of your mind when you wake up in the morning? What is the focus of your life? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, what is that which is keeping you awake? What wakes you up in the middle of the night? What causes you great joy? What causes you great pain? What floats your boat? Is Jesus the focus of our lives today? Is he the focus? Is he being magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death? And you and you alone know the answer to that question. You know what the focus of your life is. You know what is being magnified. And Paul really lays it 
all out for us in verse 21, a verse that I want to be the theme of our study this morning, a verse that I want you to meditate upon and that I want to change your life. Because you guys, if you've come here this morning with any other motivation but to be changed, you're wasting your time. You're absolutely wasting your time. If you have not come here to be changed and radically transformed, and Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happened, Paul said, it's going to be good. For me to live, it's for Christ. If I die, that's even better. It's gain for me. Because his focus, what was his vision, what was being magnified in his life was Jesus. And so for me to live, hey, it's Jesus. And if I die, then I go to be with him for eternity. So it's all about Jesus. And how do we finish that sentence? How would we fill in the blank of verse 21? For to me, to live is. And you know what it is. For some of you, it's money. For me, to live is money. And you don't have to have it for it to be your pursuit. That's your pursuit. For me, to live is. And maybe it's your spouse or the person you want to be your spouse. It's a relationship. It's an occupation. It's a career. It's power. It's influence. It's fame. For some, it's getting high, getting drunk, getting laid. You fill in the blank. For me to live is. What is it? What is the absolute focus of our life? And that will determine how you answer to die is. If Jesus isn't our focus, then death is a real bummer because we lose what we're pursuing. If money is your focus, you don't get to take it with you. So for me to live is money and to die is to lose it all and leave it to my kids. And they're going to waste it. For me to live is power and to die is the loss of power. For me to live is my career and advancement in my career. But when I get old and die, they're going to replace me. And so for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul. What is our sentence? How would it read? And you guys, I pray and I hope that you leave today making that how you complete that sentence. And I know that some of you need to to take whatever it is that's occupying that space right now and make it Jesus so that death is no longer something to be avoided. Death is no longer something to abhor. Death is no longer something to fear. And you guys, I'm not saying that death is something we should seek that we're on some morbid death wish. That isn't what God is calling us to. But we don't fear it. We don't pursue it, but we don't fear it. And I also don't think we avoid it. So often Christians say, I can't wait to get to heaven, but then when they have the opportunity, they don't want to go. Or when somebody in their life has the opportunity, they don't want them to go. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You guys, death is a, is a difficult thing and, and something that... It is hard and, and, and something that none of us likes. But it isn't the death that we are excited about. It's what death brings. And it's Jesus. It's more of him. It's seeing him face to face. It's shedding off this body of flesh and of corruption and of sin. It's no longer suffering. But if you're not living for Jesus today, if Jesus isn't your focus today, then you know what? Heaven's not going to be such a great place because that's what heaven's all about is Jesus. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Life starts today. Life with Jesus starts today, you guys. And if you want him, 
and you want to spend eternity with him, then make him your focus today. Don't wait until you die. Make him your focus today. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul was such a selfless guy. He says, look, for me to live is Christ. He's my vision. He's my focus. To die is gain. I'll be with him for all eternity. But if I live on in the flesh, if I continue to live, if, if I don't die at the hand of Caesar Nero, which he ultimately would shortly after this, as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he knew that his death was imminent. He knew it was coming. He says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. But he didn't know it this time. He says, I'm not sure what God has. The Roman government could set me free or they could chop off my head. And plan B is what they went with. Paul was really their guinea pig. They weren't sure what they wanted to do with Christianity. They didn't see if it was, they weren't sure if it was dangerous or not to them. But they finally made a decision and Paul was kind of their guinea pig. And after that, Caesar Nero went nuts persecuting the church. But Paul says, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. But if I live on in the flesh, you know what? It'll mean fruit from my labor. It'll mean fruit. He says, if I live on in the flesh, I'm just going to go about bearing fruit. I'm just going to serve God. I'm going to be used by him, Paul said. He wasn't consumed with himself. He wasn't thinking about how he, if he lived on in the flesh, could amass more wealth or build more houses or make a bigger name for himself. He says, if I live on in the flesh, it will mean fruit, eternal fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. And that word depart has a couple different meanings that can bring illustrations, metaphors to your mind. One is of a, of a ship being docked in a harbor and letting loose of the ropes, untying the knots and being set out to sea to depart. Another is to pick up a tent and to move on somewhere else. Peter calls our body a tent and that one day this tent is going to perish and our spirit is going to move on to heaven that we're going to pick up and we're going to go to be with him. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. There's no question. It's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, I'd like to go and be with Jesus because he's my focus. But I know that you need me. And I think that applies for families, especially young families. I know that if I were to die right now, it would be a big deal to my family. So I don't want to die right at this moment because I need to raise my kids and I need to provide for my family. But if God takes me, then so be it. And that's good. That's the right perspective that God wants us to have. But also not just for our family, which comes naturally, but for the people around us to be a blessing to them, to bear fruit that they can partake of, as we talked about last week. Fruit not for ourselves, but fruit for others. That is sweetness for them. To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. 
Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress. That, that word progress is a, a pioneer advancement. Paul wanted them to, to be about things that had never happened before. He wanted to see Jesus do a work in them that was totally unique, that would blow their minds, that was amazing. And you know what, you guys, that's my heart for you, that you would progress and that you would have joy in your faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And all of this, verses 22 to 26, it's all about selflessness. It's all about Paul saying, I'd rather die right now. I'd rather go home to be with the Lord. I'm tired of suffering. But if I live, it will be for you. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, doing all things for the sake of others. And you know what, you guys? that isn't the culture of the church in the year 2007. Sadly, in a lot of ways, that's not the culture of this church. It is in some ways, but it isn't in a lot of ways because we're selfish, we're narcissistic, we're myopic. We think only of ourselves. We think of the thing I want to go to, that I want to partake of, the thing that serves me and blesses me, that, that thing I'll be a part of and I'll show up to that and I'll bless them with my presence. And it's this consumer mentality that we live in because we can go to a store and we can pick out whatever we want, whatever color, flavor, type we want. And then we complain if we don't get good customer service and we expect things done now and yesterday and on my terms and it better be on a discount and there better be a guarantee. And we want all of that. And you know what? We take it into the church and we show up at church looking for what we can get, looking for who's going to serve me. Because man, they better be happy that I showed up and I took up a seat. And you know what? That's a joke. And churches for too long have made that the focus, just simply getting people to come. Just get them to show up. And I mean, wow, isn't it awesome? We filled up the building with a bunch of people that aren't doing squat for Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's the church. Unfortunately, that is the church. But it isn't the church. Because to be the church, you need to be the church. Not here, not here, but in your homes, in your workplaces, in this community. And if we want to make an impact on this community, that's what will happen. We'll get our eyes off of ourselves. We'll get, quit thinking about who's going to talk to me and nobody invited me over and nobody talked to me and nobody did this for me. Me, me, me. Guys, me needs to be crucified. Me needs to die. Sounds like Smeagol. Me, me needs to die. The precious, that's the problem. It's the precious. And it's, it's your flesh. It needs to go. It needs to be crucified. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the message of Christianity. And I really don't know what it is that we've repackaged in this fantasy world that we call the church. I really don't know what it is this live a better life, be a better you. It's all about you. I don't know what that is. It's not Christianity. It's me-ianity. It's self-ianity. It's consumerism. It's sin. It's death. It stinks. And it's opposed to God. And it hurts God. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. That's Christianity. This thing that's been repackaged to appeal to the masses, to tickle people's ears, is not Christianity. Oh, it gets people in the door. You guys, I'm not stupid. I could very easily make this church palatable to the masses. It wouldn't be hard for me at all. 
I, I can market things. I have a gift with business, and I believe I could make this church into the most palatable church in Prineville if I wanted to. But that's not what I'm called to do. It's not what I'm called to do. And some people won't like what I have to say this morning. Some people will be offended by what I'm saying this morning. And I have an obligation, you guys, to not tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you what Jesus said in his word. That's the bottom line. And it may not be what I want to say. It may not be what I want to say at all. I don't necessarily like the message of taking up a cross and dying to myself. I like to be pampered. I like to be served. I like to be told how great I am. My flesh is no different than your flesh, but it needs to be crucified and it needs to die. And Paul had that figured out. I don't know if we do, and I certainly don't think the church does right now, by and large. What the church has figured out is how to market itself. And there's some very, very talented people marketing the church. Extremely talented people. Blows me away. They ought to be the CEO of Microsoft or Boeing or Home Depot or Starbucks. Extremely talented people. But one day they're going to stand before the Lord. And they're going to hear him say, you know, that was amazing what you did. I mean, you, you had that church just bursting at the seams. But you didn't disciple anybody. You told them what they wanted to hear. You guys, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be guilty of that. And I don't want you to be guilty of this consumerism that says, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? And you know what? I hear some of it. I don't hear it directly from, from you, but I hear it. I hear complaining and I hear, well, I didn't get to do this or nobody told me about that. And you know what? It really, really hurts me when I hear that because I feel like that I'm failing when I hear the church looking at only how it affects them. What, what is in it for me? It's sad. He says, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Is our conduct worthy of the gospel? If we are to look at our lives and then what comes out of our lips, do they match up? Because you remember, Jesus made some pretty insane statements about what it means to be a Christian. And so is our life lining up with the gospel? Like I said, I don't know what much of what is called Christianity is, but it isn't Christianity. We don't get to redefine it. We don't get to repackage it. We don't get to pick and choose this isn't like buying a computer online. You know how you get to pick and choose all of your accessories and all of the add-ons and, you know, I want this much memory and I want it to be this fast in terms of the processing speed and I want this big of a monitor and I want a wireless keyboard and, and then at the end it tells you how much. It's, this isn't a buffet line. This isn't Izzy's. You don't get to choose, you know, to eat salad or not to eat it or just to have Cinnabons and, and pudding or the greasy pizza, you know, you don't get to choose. It is all or nothing. And is our life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. We shouldn't be terrified of death. We shouldn't be terrified of our suffering. We shouldn't be terrified of those that want to come against us. Fear is, is something that, that God hasn't appointed us to. And my wife did an amazing job yesterday of talking about that at the tea. I was blown away by her ability to, to share the word and to share her heart. T. 
tea went very well, and thank you to all those that helped with that. We're not in any way terrified by our adversaries. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, to what? To believe and to be saved. And that's where it ends for most people today. Jesus, aren't you so thrilled to have me? Church, Calvary Chapel, aren't you so thrilled to have me? And yes, he is, and yes, we are. But if that's where it ends, if that is where it ends, then we're missing the boat. If it's just signing up for something that you have no intention of partaking of, signing up for something to get the benefits, to only send in a request to have your money back. I did that recently with Amazon.com. They had this special going where, you know, you sign up for this uh, special uh, shipping rate. And it was like for, for premium customers, you know, they always say that. And, and you get free two-day shipping for a month. So I signed up for it. Figure I'll cancel when it's over. I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to order. So I got free two-day shipping. But I don't plan on keeping that, whatever it's called, prime customer thing, you know. It's like 80 bucks a year. Forget it. So I'm picking and choosing. I got it free for a month. I'll cancel it. Some of us want to do that. We want all of the benefits. But when it comes time for our responsibility, we want to cancel. And it doesn't work that way. He says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. So it's not only to believe. That certainly is part of it. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. You will be saved. Romans 10.9. Not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Is that Something that we're hearing? Is that a best-selling book? Suffering for his sake. No, it's not. It, when you walk into the Christian bookstore, it's, it's not on a, an end cap. There have been some great books about it, but you've got to search for them to find them. They're not best-selling. But it's what Jesus said would happen. Servant's not greater than his master. Here's what I'm calling you to. Are you ready for this? I'm calling you to come and follow me, to take up your cross, to die to yourself, to die to your flesh, and your self-focused life. I'm calling you to suffer for my name's sake. And one day, one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before me and you're going to spend eternity with me and it is going to be awesome. But for now, we're called to suffer. It shouldn't be a surprise to us when we do. But often it is because we complain, we murmur, we groan, we act as if we're the only ones that have ever gone through it. We give up on God. We quit ministry. We quit ministering to other people. We say, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this. I, I can't do anything else because this thing's consumed my life. And so for me to live is feeling sorry for myself. No longer am I going to serve other people. I'm going to serve myself for the rest of my life because woe is me. Look, it's what, look what's happened to me. And that's why it's so good for us to get out of our little myopic bubble and to get over to third world countries, to go to Mexico and to walk into a little one room shack and have them give you the only food they have, the only food they might have for a week and have them give it to you with a smile on their face, to go to these places where people have AIDS and it's running rampant and yet they have joy. Yeah, we suffer here. We do. Many of us have suffered in great ways, not minimizing our suffering here in the United States. It's different, but we suffer. But when we do as Christians, you guys, it should be with his perspective. It should be knowing that he has our best interest in mind. 
knowing that he's going to work it out, as he said there in verse 19, for our deliverance. Knowing that that's what we're called to, that that's what we signed up for. You know, there's a few of these soldiers that come home from Iraq and they're complaining now. Not a lot of them, but there are a few. And you see them on the news. And you think to yourself, I don't want to be insensitive, but bro, you signed up for it. There's no draft. You signed up for it. So don't come home and complain about how horrible our government is or how horrible the war is or chase government officials around threatening them because of what happened to a loved one over there. That is part and parcel to being in the military. And for many years, I mean, hey, praise the Lord. For many years, we lived in a time of peace and our soldiers got to, to just, you know, go and, and protect us, certainly. But, but never having to be in harm's way. And many of them retired without ever having to go to war. And we got kind of used to that. And you know what? Again, I think that is kind of our mentality in Christianity. We're soldiers. We sign up. Oh, I didn't know I was going to be in a war. I didn't know I had to take up my cross. I didn't know this was going to mean suffering. I didn't know this was going to be hard. You mean I've got to give of my money and my time and my talents? I've got to quit being so selfish? And so arrogant and prideful, oh, this isn't what I had in mind. This is Christianity 101. We've made it like the deeper truths. Like this is, ooh, you know, this is the deeper truths. I can't believe what this guy's saying. This is Christianity 101. This is the basics. It's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You guys, I am not trying to minimize suffering one way, shape, or form. But in my own way, I'm trying to get you to understand that we're spoiled, that we're comfortable, that we're self-focused, that we're full of ourselves, and we need to die to ourselves. If you ask parents in Japan what is their number one goal for their children, by and large, you'll hear the term success. They want their child to be successful. And that's why they, they pursue education the way they do. That is why they pursue learning a trade the way they do. That is why they are so successful. But you ask an American parent what's the goal for your child and you know what you hear today i want my child to be happy i want my child to be happy and guess what we've made steps to make them happy and we found they don't work we're still trying to do it but i want my child to be happy therefore i scream and yell at my teacher because they don't think my student my child is the greatest thing since sliced bread and everything doesn't revolve around them yeah, and I chewed out the bus driver the other day too because she had the nerve to kick my kid off the bus. Yeah, well, your kid was being an absolute terror. I mean, I want my child to be happy. Therefore, I run them all over the place to everything they want to go to and everything they want to be a part of. And my life is focused on getting them involved in everything they want to do because it's all about them. And I give my kids everything they want. And what better time to think about that than Christmas, where we max out our credit cards, where we mortgage our homes to buy our kids a bunch of stuff that next year is going to be in the trash. And we go into debt to buy our kids stuff, and it's wrong. And look, I'm going to buy my kids stuff. I'm not going to tell my kids, look, the $100 I was going to spend on you, I'm actually sending it to buy a goat in Africa. Okay. I'm not saying that that's what you ought to do. Although, <laughs> although it may, maybe that's something you work out with your kids and your family. And, and, but I'm not saying don't buy your kids stuff. 
But what I'm saying is don't make your kids the focus of your life. Jesus is the focus. And watch, have them be allowed to watch you have Jesus be the focus. And make Jesus the focus of this holiday season. Make Jesus the focus of your life, setting the example. Not your kids. Guys, the goal for your kids should be that they love Jesus, not that they're happy. Because happiness is based on circumstances. And so we've got to then change the kids' environment to make them happy. Oh, we got to shield them from that. We don't want to, hey, how come my kid's not starting on the baseball team? Well, ma'am, I'm sorry, but he's not as good as the other kids. Well, that's going to hurt his self-esteem. No, it's reality. It's life. You either can make it or you can't. And so find out what you're good at. I remember third or fourth day of school. Caitlin came home and she's grown up in Sunday school and in church and she's kind of the, you know, she's kind of what makes things go, you know, wherever she's at, she's telling kids what to do and she's the center of attention and I'm trying to teach her to be humble and and to not have to run the show all the time. She came home third or fourth day from school and she was all bummed out. What's wrong? Well, I I don't have any friends, you know, nobody likes me. Well, define what you mean by that, Caitlin. Well, you know, they just, they don't all center around me and, and, and the kids don't talk about me all the time. And, and it's, you know, they, there's other kids that seem to be uh, more popular in her own terms than me. And I, I, not everybody likes me the way they like other kids. And I said, Caitlin, here's something that you're going to learn and you're going to have to learn it real fast. Is that if you want to be a friend, you need to be a friend. If you want to have friends and you want to influence people and you want to make a difference, then you need to start loving them. And I said, is there any other kids that don't seem to have any friends? Are there any kids that maybe are poor or that don't dress as nice or or maybe their parents don't take very good care of them and so they kind of get shunned? I said, those are the kids that you need to talk to. I said, it's real easy when to be popular. It's real easy to be the center of attention that appeals to our flesh. But why don't you start spending some time and loving on those people in your life that nobody else wants to. Of course, I say that in adult terms. I said it in very childlike terms to her. And I think she got it because she hasn't complained about it since. And all of a sudden, she's getting invited to birthday parties. And all of a sudden, she's got all kinds of friends. You guys, what's our focus? What's our goal for our kids? If it's happiness, you might be able to bring it to them for a time. But they're going to suffer. And how are they going to deal with it when they do? How are they going to deal with that loss of job? Are they going to go buy some drugs and, and, and get high so they don't have to think about it anymore because you've taught them that the goal is happiness and now they're not happy so they, they just need to you know forget their pain? Are, are you teaching them that when their wife or husband doesn't make them happy that they just get rid of them and recycle them until they find somebody that does? Are you teaching them to be horrible parents themselves, to not be able to keep a job? If you're teaching your child that happiness is the goal in life, then that is what they will pursue. And when they don't find it, they'll end up like what we see on the nightly news. And that's our culture. That's our society. It's all about me. Self-love, self-help, self-actualization, finding yourself. Look, all of that is from your flesh. We don't need any of that. We need self-death. Self needs to die. needs to be crucified. Jesus needs to be our focus. And like I said, there's a lot of other things I'd rather talk about. There's a lot of other things that I would rather say than these things. But I know that I have to teach what God's word says. Verse 29. 
It's been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want you guys to meditate upon these things. I want you to think about them. I hope and I pray that you've come here with a heart that wants to change and wants to be made new. I hope that that you desire above all else to have Jesus be your focus and your vision. It will change your life. It will change your life. No longer will you be coming to church thinking about yourself. You'll be thinking about others. No longer will you be pursuing happiness. And when you're not happy, you're totally depressed and finding something that will make you happy only to let you down once again. Guys, Jesus is the answer. He's the best thing about us. Do you know that? Do you live it? You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.